Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is not in the construction business. The rooms are built. When he's preparing a place, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's building righteousness, not rooms. In today's message, The Path Home, Jesus, Pastor Randy is teaching on the longing for home, the promise of home, and the way home. Also, time for testimonies. Pastor Randy invites several from our Grace New Hope family to share theirs. Turn in your Bible now to John chapter 14. Here's Pastor Randy. If you will turn in your Bibles to John 14, I'm gonna teach through a passage pretty quickly this morning because we have a number of people that are gonna share a word of testimony. I actually want us to start doing this three or four times a year, that that would become a part of, of, of our service, that we could take some times and just share some words of testimony of what God's doing. John 14, the disciples have gathered in the upper room. They've argued about who was the greatest and Jesus has washed their feet. The devil has entered into full, unblown control of Judas's life, and Judas has gone out to betray his Lord, his friend, the one who trusted him with the finances. Trusted. Buddy used to laugh and say, you can lie about everything in the church, but you can't lie about the money. The bank will tell you if you're wrong. But Judas didn't have a bank. Judas was the bank. They had trusted him with everything. And he betrayed him. And Jesus is talking about it. And Peter goes, I'll never betray you. Big, strong Peter. Big, big man, tough guy. Yeah, those are the first guys that fall away. Jesus goes, Peter, it's not how strong you are physically. It's going to be your belief in me. It's going to be your trust in this plan. You're going to deny me three times. What he didn't know yet was he's going to bring him back. And three times he's going to restore him. Three times he's going to say, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. You're not going to slaughter him, Peter. You're going to feed him. It's in that context of the, the darkness of that moment that they don't fully understand. They just know Judas got up and left quick. They don't really fully understand. Peter is over there sulking in the corner at this point because he says, something's going to change. It's going to be cataclysmic. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. You, you may have grown up here in mansions. My father's house are many mansions. And it, this is what's interesting. This is what he says. He says, he says, and I go to prepare a place for you. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And he says, he's going to come back. He's going to take you to where I am. And then he says, you know exactly where I'm going and you know how to get there. And Thomas raises his hand and says, I have no idea what you just said. Are you that kid in class? 
Everybody else trying to act like they know what's up. And you just, you're the one who raises your hand and says, no, I have no idea what you just said. And Jesus says, thank you. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we turn that into this big, deep theological statement. And it is. But it's way more pastoral. Home. There's something about home, isn't it? Sometimes you just want to be home. A lot of you guys watching online really like being at home. We'd like you to come back. We, um, when we're in those worst moments, when we've stood over graves or the job interview hadn't gone well, or she says, I think we should see other people. You just want to go home. When the arm gets broken, when the heart gets broken, just want to go home. There's something about home. I, I got a picture of my, in 1958, my dad loaded up the station wagon and took my brothers. Look at my brother James being cantankerous there. My grandpa's pointing at something, and my brother James is pointing at something, something in the other direction. You can see that little smile just to see what he's trying to do there. And so this is the middle of the summer. Look at how my grandpa's dressed, all right? Full suit and tie. They drove three days down Highway 27 to Old 27. I used to live off Old 27. And they, they drove three days to get to Daytona Beach. They pulled out there, got out the Coleman cook stove. You know, you didn't used to drive through because there wasn't. So you'd like, you could go into a restaurant, but most of the time you'd just take some food. Back in the old days, okay, now if you're really old, you remember this, you could cook on the manifold of your car. Does anybody remember that? Am I the only person that old in this room? I didn't do it. I just heard about it. And, and they got their Coleman out, cooked, cooked lunch. They got there right before lunch. They cooked lunch. My grandpa took his shoes off in his suit, walked down, put his feet in the ocean, came back and said, Ezra, thank you. Can we go home now? <laughs> Dad said, Sure. There's something about home. When I say that word, what, what thoughts do you have? What, what comes to your mind when I say home? Is it a place? This is what I think we're gonna see right here with what Jesus says. It's way more than just a place. When you think about that, it, he, says, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled Believe in God, believe also in me. As we read through this, look at how many first-person pronouns are in this. Jesus is really about himself right here. It's not usually the way he speaks. But this is intense moments. He's getting ready to go to the cross. They're afraid, and he's making a point here about what home really is. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is not in the construction business. That's not what he's doing. Jesus isn't going in heaven. And I mean, and listen, I've taught this incorrectly before. I've said Jesus is up there building rooms. No, he's not. The rooms are built. 
when he's preparing a place, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's building righteousness, not rooms. He's building right. I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is what Jesus is in the process of doing. He's making intercession for us. And then he says, that's, the, that's that longing for home that we have. And then there's the promise of home. And if I go and prepare a place, I, I'm going and getting this righteousness for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. This is what he's saying. I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring you home. I've been reading this little book, How Christianity Saved Civilization and Must Do So Again. They say we are in a post-Christian culture. I don't believe that. I know that if you watch television, let's just be really, do you know any character on television like the people you know in this church? I don't, there's not a Chris Banks on TV. There's not, like, like every Christian that's on TV is like very legalistic or dumb. No, I'm serious. They always paint them that way. They're not like you all. They're not, they're not like normal people who care about people, who sacrifice for others, who get along, who, yeah, they mess up and then they try to make it right. Oh, people all the time like saying, talk about all these Christians and how bad they are. I'm like, man, you must go to the wrong church because I don't know any of those people. I just don't. I mean, I'm not saying they don't exist. I just don't hang with them. Yeah, amen to that. This is one of the things that it says. It says that, that there are these revolutions that happened. These revolution of the individual. These are things that, and I'm going to talk about this in the week after Easter, about paganism and the culture that, that Galatians was written in. We're going to get back. We're going to finish Galatians. We are going to finish that book. But, but, when he's writing that, the culture that it was in, these things weren't affirmed. Here's one of the things that it says. A revolution of the individual affirmed that all people are created equal in the image of God and no one is expendable. There are no non-essential people in the kingdom of God. Amen to that. We have a father. We are brothers and sisters. That ends the, that ends the argument. There is no non-essential. There is no expendables. Whether, whether you bring the highest amount of value to the culture that's seen or whether you can't contribute anything, there, are, there is no one that's expendable in this. But here's the second thing, a revolution of the home. It affirmed it as a place of safety and love where women and children are not to be exploited. That was not the culture when scripture was written, when the New Testament was written. The spoils of war were always the women and children. That's why men would fight to their deaths because they would, the men would be executed. The women and children would be just, just homogenized into the culture that, that overthrew them. in the most horrific ways possible. Read history. Read history. 
I, um, I don't think we're in a post-Christian culture. I think we're in a post-family culture. We're in a post-home culture. And Jesus says, no, you got a home. You got a home. By the way, church, I just want to say this. Um, you guys raised $5,000 last week that we have already given out to, um, to women who are marginalized and exploited. And I just want to thank you for that. Amen to that. Great job. Not that I expected any less. You guys always stand in. Every time. Every time. There's a challenge like that every single time. You guys always stand in there. My, um, my father-in-law has this phrase. We were, we were going to eat one day and everybody wanted to go somewhere different and I was driving and, and he turned to me and he goes, what to do? And, um, and, and that has, that has, that's kind of his like, you're gonna have to make the best choice here. And, and that's kind of this, become this little joke between us whenever we're up there. And, and it's also kind of become this little phrase that kind of runs through my mind. I can hear my father-in-law saying that sometimes. It's like, look, the world's a mess. What to do? What, what are we gonna do? We, we can curse the world. We can talk about how bad it is. We can, we can listen to people tell us how bad it is. There's any number of people who want to do that. But this is what I'm saying to you today. What to do? Let's do something. What do you say? Let's, let's disciple a generation of kids. Let, let, let's, in, instead of seeing, this is what, this is what, and I, I think the connections that God is pulling us to has so much to do with this whole nature of home. When the, when, when Buddy, when I came here, the first meeting I had, Buddy said, we're going to lunch with Rob Corley and we go to lunch and Buddy goes, I can't finish this race, but you're going to finish this race and you're going to go to Cambodia and we're going to make this thing happen because I think it's the most important thing that New Hope's going to do. And I said, well, you know, there's a lot of things that you've said really important that New Hope's going to do. He goes, no, we got to do this. We got to do this. You're, you will finish this race. We, we talked about it in the weeks before he died. We're in this race. We're, we're running this race. We're gonna finish this race. And you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, that we have a pastor school there, and that's significant, but we also have three specific homes. We have a home for children. We have a home for university kids, and now we have a home for widows. Do you know what happens to widows in cultures, in most cultures in the world? They wind up in massage parlors. But not these ladies. They live in this place. It looks, it's beautiful. It's a mansion. And they're loved and they're cared for and they have value and they learn how to work. And he says, there's a way home. This is what he says. Thomas says, Lord, we have no idea. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? That word, the way, 
Greek word hados, it means the road. Jesus said in Psalm 119, you go, Jesus said, yeah, look, you wanna know what Jesus says about anything? Just read any scripture. What Leviticus says is the same things Jesus says. There's no difference. He wrote all of it. It's inspired by the Lord. What's Psalm 119, 105? Somebody tell me what it says. You know it. What is it? Starts with thy, thy word. There you go. Good job. You know this. Yeah, you went to vacation Bible school. (laughs) Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That word path, now it's a Hebrew word there, but essentially it's the same thing. It's the way we're going. This is, this is, the, this is the, the hodos, the, the, the road. It, it's, it's the path. But it doesn't, just mean, it doesn't just mean there's the road. It means it's the road and it's going somewhere. It, it, it's, it's, it's a word that implies progress. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the progress. I, I'm the path. But you don't just stand on a road. You don't, if you stand, you do, if you stand on a road, you will get run over. You have to move on a road. Tim, you're a runner. If you move on a road, you don't get run over. If you stand on a road, you're a squirrel. Actually, a possum, isn't it? You know why the possum, you know why the chicken crossed the road? Because it's not a possum. You think about that a little bit. The when you, you get on the road and it's this progress, Jesus says, I'm the progress. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the way that you're moving. You, you, you find what I'm doing and you invest your life in those things. And I don't just mean being a pastor. You, you find what God's doing at your work. You find what God's doing in your family. You, you find what God's doing in your country. And and you step back and you pray and you look at that and you go, this is the progress and I'm gonna step into that, whatever it is, wherever it takes me, I'm gonna go down that path. A friend of mine was preaching a, a missions conference. Did an invitation the first night. Pastor's daughter got up and walked down the aisle to come commit her life to go wherever God Want her to go. Pastor's wife standing right over here. She stands up first because she always stood up first on the song. She stood up and she sees her little girl walking down the aisle and she says out loud, oh Jesus, no. My friend said, I might as well have just gone home that night. There's a path. There's a, there's a place that God's calling us to to step into the things that he values. And here's what he's saying. This is such, this, when Jesus says, I'm the way to the home, listen, the, the process of getting there gets you home. It's the journey that gets you home. You're not like transported to it. It's this journey. Home is in the journey. When you look at the language, it's you're, you're home when you're in the journey. And he also says, I'm the truth. The, the aletheia, the, the, the truth. I'm, I'm, you're going to hear all kinds of people say things, disciples, over, over the course of your life, but I'm that truth. 
And then he says this, I'm the, the Zoe, the life. What's he say? He says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant, that you would have life. Listen, lots of people exist. I've met a few people in life that live. Live. This is what he calls us to. And I believe you have to be engaged in all three of those to have all three of those. That progress, that, that truth, to not believe those lies, to be about the things of God. Wherever you are in your neighborhood, in your family, in your work, as you're going to school, as you're teaching, whatever it is that you do, you're in that progress, that path of what he's doing, that truth that you're not gonna be swayed by every wind of doctrine. And that's how you have that life. Pilate said, is there such a thing as truth? And he was looking at truth. So we're going to, um, we're going to hear now some testimonies of some things that God's doing in people's lives. And um, Sheba's got this organized. Um, so welcome up, Sheba. All right. And Sheba's preaching next Sunday morning at 7 a.m. service. The worship's going to be a little sketch, but the preaching's going to be good. I'm, I'm doing it. That's why. So, um, so our first guy here is Chris Banks. So come on up here, Chris. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Good morning. Um, so um, I'm just going to say that our pastor Randy has a way of asking me to do things or be involved in things. And I'm like, I have no idea what, I, what am I going to offer? I don't know. And Brandon is laughing because he knows I say this. But um, he texted me, asked me to share what God has done uh, in the past year through the pandemic. And I was like, bye. My wife, she says, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know, honey. But and I delayed on answering because I didn't know what to say. It took me a little while. But uh, God, God taught me to just say yes. If you put it on your heart, it's for a reason. Just say yes. Then pray and let God figure it out. So I said, well, I'm just going to pray. And I said, well, I, I pray and I said, God, I don't have this grand miracle you've done for me lately. And I don't, you haven't averted any crisis that I know of. I don't have any tragedy you brought me through. Not to say that he's never done these things for me. He has, but just recently, that's not been the story. And so I said, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, uh, as far as my family, we're, we're the closest we've ever been, honestly. And it struck me that that's it. And I said, oh, okay. And so I said, well, God, I can't just get up there and say that and then walk off. What do you want me to say? <laughs> so I, I prayed, and God took me back to a conversation I had with my son. He's 10. I had a conversation with him back about a week ago. And it wasn't just a conversation. It was the conversation. And he's 10, so you can imagine that was a lot sooner than I wanted to have that conversation or that I thought I was ready to have that conversation. But God has a way of doing something. When you're not ready, when you tell God, I'm not ready, he's like, yep, that's what you're doing right now. That's just his thing. That's his, that's his jam. Um, so I said, okay, I'll have it. But in that conversation, it was long. It was detailed. But part of it was um, talking about marriage and the way that God designed it, how it's supposed to be, how it's intended to be, and the blessing it is. We went to the scripture. We looked at it. We talked about it. And it was a blessing that he consumed it, and he understood it. He got it. He grasped it. You know. And I asked a question. I said, uh, I said, do you see the way that your mother and I love each other? And that's a scary question to ask. <laughs> You don't know what the answer is going to be, you know. 
You know, he's going to be like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. But he, his face lit up, and he's like, yeah. And I said, you see the way that we enjoy each other, we love each other, we, we laugh together, we play together, we game together, we pray, we read, we cook, we garden together. I, I told him, I want that for you, you know? And I said, when you find that person, that's the person you're intended to be with, uh, with for the rest of your life. You need to make sure you love that person and that you remain in love with them. My wife and I are going on 14 years in May, and we're still as in love as, now as we were 14 years ago. And I told him that. Thanks. And we just, we just love each other. And I said to him, I said, the way that you accomplish that is that you have to not let pride and differences get in the way of how you love that person, right? And that, I think, is what it's all about. This whole thing is about in that it was in John chapter 13, 34, 35. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, love each other. It's crazy that that's a new commandment. But he says, I give you a new one, love each other, right? It's almost, it feels sarcastic almost. And he says, by this, you will know, or people will know that you are my disciples by how you love each other, right? And our son is, I consider my disciple. It would be very difficult <laughs> to share the good news with him if my relationship this way didn't line up that way. I mean, that's hard, man. But such is the way we treat each other. A friend of mine was drawn to Christ once because he said, I want what you have with your wife. And I said, well, you got to do what I, got, what I do, brother. And that's that guy. And he actually came to Christ and is with him now. And he's married with the one he loves now because he said that. I want what you and your wife have. Well, then you got to do what I do. And that's that guy. And so if I could say anything this morning to encourage you is I know that going home to those crazy people we call family can drive you up the wall, being cooped with them for a year now. But um, I would just say to look at them and realize that your testimony is being written in them every single day, right? To love them and not let pride and differences get in the way of how you love each other and how you love your family here in this room. So thank you. Morning, New Hope. Good morning. That was powerful, Chris. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, um, Pastor Randy asked us to share a little bit about what God was doing in our lives. And I was like, man, I got I to gotta go first um, because I can't follow up my wife after, uh, you know, what, what she has to say. Because she's, um, she's an amazing woman of God. But, I, you know, as I, um, you know, I thought about that, um, you know, going through Galatians as a church, doing a small group study. And, um, you know, there's some things that, you know, God's been working, just not really you know, trying to go through the motions and check the boxes, um, you know, just kind of be that religious person. And I immediately just started thinking about, you know, my, my time that I spend with the Lord and how just this past season has been just a cry of desperation, you know, just um, all the stuff going on, the pressures of, you know, just being a, being a father of four, being, you know, being a manager, a worker, the, the stress of COVID and, you know, just kind of losing track of who God has really called me to be and my identity in him. And sometimes you can let, you know, I've been letting just the, the stress and the pressure of this world, you know, just kind of get a hold of me. And, you know, as I get away with him and I stay connected to the source, I'm reminded of a, of a scripture. And it's just a real, you know, uh, simple scripture it talks about, you know, Jesus says, hey, come to me if you're thirsty and I will, you know, I will quench your thirst. You know, and so I just want to leave you guys with let's stay connected. Let's stay connected to the source. Let's continue to get alone and allow the Father to write what He says about us. Allow Him to declare the identity that He's, 
you know, put inside of you. And um, that's where I find my strength. And I immediately find that encouragement to walk out the calling that he has in my life and walk out the identity that he's, you know, called me to be. So just uh, want to encourage you to stay connected and uh, he, he will fulfill that thirst of yours. So good. Um, so Anita reached out to me and said, Pastor Randy would like you and Chad to share your testimony. Would you be open to that this weekend? And um, I think, oh, we've got some sweet little testimonies. What, what would you, you know, what does he want? You know, perhaps it's probably something that Randy's heard Chad share with him before. And she says, well, let me ask him. And um, comes back and says, what God's doing in your life right now? And my immediate response was, ugh. <laughs> what? I'm like, I don't think I want to talk anymore. Um, let me talk about something I've got a victory in. And let me, let me talk about something I've mastered. And y'all will be encouraged. Um, there was a lot of mess that God brought me through when I came to him. And he just cleaned me up. And he delivered me from so much. And so then I began to walk and taste this fruit of just goodness. And I created a lot of better habits in my life. I created, uh, I began to know who I was. And I thought, you know, this is great. And then I had four beautiful blessings and uh, incredible husband that just made me face my selfishness <laughs> on a daily basis. And a lot of ugly comes out when you're not getting your way. I, I wish I could say I've never yelled or done something I regret. And I think back to, I hear the Lord say, boldly approach the throne of grace. And I felt for a long time, I could boldly approach the throne of grace because I was no longer an illegitimate child. I had a father and I would come to him boldly because I knew my dad. But then I just started walking out this season and another mistake, another mommy moment, another this, another that. And I'm like, just began to walk in shame towards my father. And he said, boldly approach the throne of grace. And I get it now. It's why there was a woman who did everything she could do to touch the hem of his garment. She said, I don't deserve this. It's why there was the woman at the well who said, this man told me everything I ever did and he loved me. And now I say boldly, I come and approach the throne of grace because let me be first in line. If you have lived it right, and you are right now, do not grow weary in well-doing. But if you've taken a few steps back, boldly approach the throne of grace. Good morning, New Hope. So I was speaking with Pastor Randy about 8.30. Wednesday morning, he says, do you care to share your testimony? And as all these other people, what do I have to offer? Well, we're, my wife and I are both new to Georgia. We've only been here about a year. And uh, when we first moved here, it was rough. We were not getting along. Our marriage was in shambles. And COVID happened. <laughs> and on top of COVID, I wound up 
having an injury that prevented me from doing any work, so we were stuck at home all the time together, which made matters even worse. I had surgery the first week in July, wound up in the hospital five days later with blood clots in my heart and lungs, and spent two weeks in the hospital, got out, and my wife left three days later. And two days after that, I found myself sitting on the edge of my bed questioning why I'm still here and seriously contemplating suicide. And I said to myself, I said, Lord, I, I know you're real. I've heard about you growing up, but right now I really don't know that I matter to you. And as those words came out of my mouth, my phone rang, and it was a friend of mine who was not a Christian by any means, but he stopped me from doing what I was doing, and the Lord put a vision in my head of someone I've known for years, but I haven't spoke to in about 15. And I couldn't stop thinking about this person. And I remember that this guy was, he was the person you always looked at and said, I, I want what he's got. I want his marriage, I want his career. And we did the same thing for a living, but I never felt fulfilled in it. And I couldn't stop thinking about this guy. I had no way to reach out to him. Couldn't stop thinking about him. And so the next morning I wake up and I said, God, why, why did you give me somebody that I have no way of contacting? I've not spoke to the man in 10 or 15 years. And even if I called him, I don't know that he would even answer his phone. And the next day, I was watching YouTube videos, and there he is. He's got a YouTube channel. And his phone number's at the end of this video. And I'm like, okay. And so, so I called him. It rang about three times he answered the phone. And we talked for about three hours. And he finished with, you need to find a church to call home and get back in church. So I started looking for churches, and I happened to find Grace Snellville and a program that they had, and I called the person's number that was listed with that program, and it was Patrick. And Patrick's an unbelievable person, love him to death, but he invited me to church. I came out, and the first week, Pastor Randy was hunting me down. I was walking to my truck to take my Bible back to my truck, and Pastor Randy is following me. I'm like, whoa, hold on now. <laughs> and he, he welcomed me back, introduced himself, and welcomed me back. So since all of this has happened, my wife has come home. Our marriage is better now than it's ever been. if the Lord will do these things in someone who is trying to get as far away from him as they can, just imagine what he'll do in our lives when we start working for him. You know, a mere three or four months ago, coming up those stairs would have been a feat. <laughs> a lot of people here remember me as the guy on crutches or the guy with a cane. <laughs> I, I have been healed by the Lord. Thank you, Grace New Hope. Church. Um, 
I am a little nervous today, but I know that the Lord is able to help me here. Um, I just wanted to speak about what the Lord has been doing in my life. Lately, Pastor Randy came in and asked me to say something. So uh, my life has been a quest to learn to hear the Lord's voice. I came from a denomination uh, that didn't believe God spoke to believers today in this, in this day. But I have a... Um, but to have a real relationship with the Lord, I felt I needed to hear Jesus speaking to me um, in a conversation. Otherwise, how could I have a friendship with him? How could I know him as a person? Um, and in my late teens, I learned about listening prayer, which, you know, this church is all about that kind of thing, and um, how to develop a dialogue with God. And that's what my heart was really longing for. Um, even so, I had almost given up on trying to hear the Lord um, when I met my prayer partner, Esther Knuckles. You all might know Esther. Um, she is a wonderful lady. She prayed for me and taught me and mentored me in many ways. And as I started graduate school, I, um, uh, we were praying together about the school. And I believed the Lord for some really big things. And I experienced some intense spiritual warfare and I thought I was breaking through into who I was meant to be in God, but I made uh, one mistake, in, which was um, instead of leaning on Jesus to fight for me, I thought I needed to fight the spiritual battles myself. And I didn't realize the battle was already won, actually. Um, I ended up losing my mind to psychotic breaks three times, and it completely broke me. I lost my self-esteem, and I felt less than nothing because... Identifying as one who has gone crazy or a person who has mental problems brought me really low. I felt just awful. Um, but the Lord was teaching me, even in the mental hospital, that that was not who I was. I thought in graduate school would be my moment of breakthrough, but my breakthrough came quietly and without ceremony or pomp or fanfare about two weeks ago. I was reading a book about how to get free from addictive behavior. And it mentioned this startling truth. The biggest lie that Christians believe today is that Jesus isn't enough. We don't need Jesus and 12 steps. We don't need Jesus and some programs. We just need Jesus. That's it. He bought our freedom already, and he's given us righteousness. He's also given us everything we need for life and godliness. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says that. He promised to supply all our needs from his riches. And I thought to myself, how many times have I read those verses and thought, yeah, that's true, but it doesn't work for me. We don't see it worked out in our lives because we are believing a lie. When we believe the truth, something changes, something shifts. Jesus has given us the victory. We just need to believe it. Suddenly, Jesus um, helped me with just giving, when I, when I was reading the, that in the book, uh, he gave me the strength and the faith to believe this truth about who I am in Christ, who it says I am, that I am a child of God, more than a conqueror, a co-worker with Christ, redeemed, forgiven, righteous before him, a priest, a saint. And suddenly I felt like the scriptures just became so much more relevant and clear uh, to me like they never had before. And my home life has started to change. I'm, and I'm now cooking meals almost every night in my new Instant Pot for the first time in like, <laughs> in, uh, in 13 years of marriage, I've never cooked. And I'm, I'm actually cooking for a whole month. I've cooked almost every meal now. 
Um, I'm cleaning and doing laundry and dishes instead of letting them pile up and living in filth because I was too overwhelmed to even consider doing it. I was working full time and everything. Um, but the Lord is changing my whole mindset about life. Um, and it started with believing the truth of who he says I am and who he is. Lies about our identity and about Christ's character can keep us living in spiritual bondage. But Jesus can and will set you free. It says in scripture in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The truth we believe, the more truth we believe, the more free we will be. Um, Jesus says in John 8, 3, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Before we can experience our freedom in Christ, Jesus has to bring us to the end of ourselves and show us that without him, we are nothing and that with him, we have everything. That is why I didn't experience breakthrough in graduate school. I was still trusting in myself more than God. This is what scripture meant when he said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's the self-life we are losing when we follow Jesus, the life of habits we have built to meet our needs apart from God that developed before we knew him. As believers, we can now meet all our needs in Jesus, and he is good, and he wants to give us good things. He is life itself. We need to lay down our broken toys and our cisterns that don't hold any water, as it says in Jeremiah, and finally meet our needs in him, the living water. We were made for him to contain him and to be his, and without him we are nothing. That is why it means also to drink the, uh, that's what it means to drink the living water, is to believe his truth, to stand in his reality. The self-life is really not something to lose, but a burden to be released. The truth isn't going to change either whether you believe it or not. It's there waiting for it, uh, uh, for you guys. And I hope you, you can receive that today. That was awesome. That was completely awesome. I was caught a little bit off guard when she handed me the mic. But uh, anyway, you know, I just thank God uh, for being here. My wife, Regina. I am um, the newest uh, elected elder here. And I just thank God for that. Okay. I just, I just wanted to just say uh, the, the young lady before me, um, I don't know her name, but she spoke some incredible truths um, in our ears. And uh, my testimony is as, as such, as uh, Chris was mentioning, I'm not going to go all the way back to the historical part of how God, you know, pulled me out of uh, darkness into the marvelous light. But, you know, one thing I'm certain of, and I wish and I hope this is an encouragement to um, anyone, I want to make an appeal to your spirit here. Um, the Lord he is a keeper, and he desires for you and I to fulfill what his word has said. He said, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony of the word. And so, therefore, when I was listening to her, I listened to Mr. Banks before me, I'm like, this is the devil's worst thing is that a blood-bought Christian would get up and testify what God has done. He doesn't want you and I to do that. 
But I'm standing here today as a witness of what God has done and can do in people's lives. I don't understand all of it, how it works. Um, I will say this one portion of testimony, and I shared it in the very first elders meeting. I have never shared this uh, publicly, but I'm from Ohio, and um, one t uh, and I experienced a, a great miracle in my life. I wasn't even a professing Christian. Didn't know anything about God. Nobody ever told me anything about it. And I'm kind of upset with that. I lived the first 25 years of my life with nobody mentioning the word of God to me. That's, a, that's, that's not good. But I was, I was uh, playing in a band, uh, playing in a band and playing in bars. And um, I was traveling from Mansfield, Ohio to Maslin, Ohio, my hometown. And um, it was my night to drive the van. There was, you know, me and three of my brothers and uh, two close friends of mine, and we were just jam-packed in this little van. And so I was assigned to as the driver that night. Well, it's about 2, 2.30 in the morning. I'm incredibly sleepy, incredibly tired. And um, Mansfield, Ohio, just to give you perspective, that's probably, what, a 50-mile drive. Uh, there's many turns, many stops, and so forth. I don't remember one turn. I don't remember getting on the highway I don't remember backing up in my driveway. I, I have no recollection of getting from Mansfield to my driveway. You ever have that, uh, that impression when you're driving and you fall asleep and you, you think you're driving, but you're on the passenger seat side and you just kind of shudder like you got the wheel in your hands? Well, that's how I came to in my driveway, perfectly backed up. And I woke my brother up and said, I think an angel just took this wheel of this car because I have no clue what happened. Now, mind you, I, this occurred before I had any, any relationship with the Lord. I say all of that just to say, there may be things in your life that God is working out. You don't have a clue. You don't know how it's gonna work, why things are happening, why uh, things seem to always happen to me. Just be encouraged that God has got it all worked out. He has got everything worked out. All I did was just simply recognize it for what it was. That must have been an angel, and God preserved my life and ultimately saved me from many, many things. And I'm just here just to be a witness to what God can do. If he does it for me, if he did it for Chris, he'll do it for anybody. Good morning, Grace New Hope. I'm Regina, Don's wife um, of 34 years, and I give God the praise and the glory for all he's done for me. Um, we have six, and I see here people say beautiful children. They haven't given their life to God, but they love each other. They love us. They're supportive of each other. And in 34 years, you know, you've gone through some difficult situations. You know, loss of our parents, our sister, grandparents, um, a son incarcerated. But through it all, God has kept us. He's kept the love strong. You know, he's given him a heart to love me only throughout this whole time. And we never turned from each other. God has strengthened us. He's kept us. And I can say the love of God is just so profound in every situation 
God is a keeper. God is able to keep you from falling. And his word is true. You know, I can sit now, I can think now when I listen to the word, he is my high tower. He's my strength. He's my redeemer. He's all of that. And he can be all of that. He can keep you in times of difficulty. You don't have to worry. I mean, if we lean on him, he's able to keep us. He's able to keep us from sadness and depression. And when David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you've tasted the Lord and saw that he's good, that he can keep you in peace, he can keep you full of joy in those difficult moments. When other difficult moments come and you've tasted to see that he was good, you don't want to move any other way. But you learn to lean on God. You learn to trust God in those difficult moments. And I just give God the praise and the honor and the glory. I thank God for being here today. When Randy asked that, I'm not good in front of a crowd. I'm very, very good one-on-one, but thank you. But again, I just thank God for my husband. Thank God for my children. I thank God for this, this new home. And I just ask each of you guys to continue to pray for us. Thanks, brother. Nice shirt, by the way. Like yeah. <laughs> we're um, we're gonna do. Uh, uh, Chris, will you mind grabbing that? We're we're gonna this week. We're gonna drop three videos. Uh, the first one's gonna go today on all our social media. We would ask that you would please share that uh, if you would. It'll be on our Instagram feed. Is that right, Trinity? And and also our Facebook feed. Um, if you'd share it, we're going to show you this in just a second. And then we're, we're doing another one tomorrow. That's this one's kind of conceptual. We're doing run informative, uh, tomorrow with Myrna and I, and then we're doing one that's just fun. And, and it's, and the theme of all of these is essentially just welcome home. Um, I, I don't think we're post-Christian. I think we're post-family. We've got to, we want to be rebuilding families. And for people that don't have one, we need to build one. We want to build family. That's what the early church did. Um, There's a reason why the story of the prodigal son reverberates in all of us so strong. Hemingway writes this story that there was a father and a son who had an argument. The boy's name was Paco. And he went to the town square. He had taken an ad out in the newspaper and he said, dear Paco, whatever you've done, whatever it is, it's forgiven. Tomorrow I'll be in the town square at noon. And Hemingway writes the next day, there were 800 boys named Paco in the town square at noon. I, I know we're in a battle for a culture, for a generation of kids. I know that this is what, this is what to do. We're going, to, we're going to proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to love people well. We're going, to, we're going to create an environment here that people are welcome into because I think at the end of the day, I think everyone's looking for home. We invite you to join us on Easter Sunday. Attend any of our four ticketed services as well as our outdoor family-friendly Good Friday service on April 2nd. Thanks for joining us. 
I'm Myrna Brown.